The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Good to see everyone. Wow, lots of wonderful folks here on this beautiful morning. Um, my name is Mira Young. I see some familiar faces, a lot of new faces. I'm a longtime member of the community and uh, occasionally um, give talks when Mark is um, on away or teaching retreat as he is now. And I'm also a psychotherapist in the community that integrates meditation and psychotherapy, Buddhist psychology. And I teach mindfulness-based stress reduction, and I'm an adjunct faculty at several, several local colleges where I um, bring, hopefully bring the Dharma into those settings. So um, let's see. So I'm happy to be here with you this morning. And let's see this thing. So I wasn't quite sure what to call the talk, but I think I'm going to, um, it's talking about being with the difficult, softening into the difficult, and looking at what blocks our Buddha nature, what obscures it. So I'd like to uh, start with um, a couple of little readings here. This is one from the Buddha. When you dig a well, there, and there is, there's no sign of water, until you reach it, only rocks and dirt to move out of the way. When you've removed enough, soon the pure water will flow. Just as a snake sheds its skin, we must shed our own, our own past, our past, over and over again. And finally, the Buddha says that the way is not in the sky. The way is in the heart. So we have these conditions that can get in the way of really connecting with our Buddha nature. I was reflecting on this season of the fall, you know, with its beauty and its impermanence and seeing the bare branches. And as I've been working with clients and students, just seeing, you know, the, uh, the changes in mood that start to come as the weather changes too. I think some of us are more sensitive to the darkening days. We turned the clock back last week. And our minds naturally turn to impermanence. We naturally reflect on letting go and the poignancy of life, that everything is so fleeting. And sometimes in these feelings arise, we might feel lower energy, you know, we might start getting the flu, <laughs> um, feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable, depressed or anxious, sometimes empty, lonely, nostalgic, maybe more vulnerable to the old habitual patterns of thinking and behaving. However, these darkening days also offer us a time for letting go and encourages us as a, a, to even use these difficult emotions or times as a time, as like a mindfulness bell to awaken, a call, an invitation to turn inward and to deepen our spiritual path through our meditation, through our practice. So in that spirit, I wanted to offer this talk. And again, 
the, the joys and the happiness are merged together into one river. And so I think this is also about, you know, healing that war of, of always seeking happiness, clinging to it, and pushing away the difficult. But to have how do we work with those difficulties and, and those blocks. So I'd like to share a little bit from Philip Moffat, who, who has um, written about living skillfully with the difficult. And he says, as much as we would per all prefer that it wasn't so difficult, and un it's unavoidable in the ever-changing stream of life. The difficulties come of their own, irrespective of whether they're deserved, fair, and regardless of our ability to bear them. So um, one of my uh, dear friends who lives out of state um, has been challenged to um, find a way to afford, make a living, that sort of thing. And uh, the place where she lives is a, is a difficult place to find housing. And after a while, she had housing, then that, that changed, the property was sold, they raised the rents, you know how it goes, then went into another one. Well, the other day, and this is someone who has a very deep practice, who's very equanimous overall, but um, ended up as like the roommate from hell. And uh, just, just the person that she's, anyway, it's a very stressful situation. And at one point, this very wonderful, experienced meditator was just like at her wit's end. And I thought, Can't, this happens to all of us. You know, just like, why? Why? What, what did I, what did I, how did I call this in? And I just said, you know, the stuff just happens. It's not fair. It doesn't matter how long we've meditated or what our intention. This is, this is our life. We all go through changes. Um, I'm going through some changes in my own life as my husband's made some changes um, around letting go of the business he's run for some years as a yoga teacher, moving. It's just, just these different stressors and effects, challenges in the finances. You know, th this is how it is. So um, what, what do we do when the difficulties come? You know, do we harden up against them? Do we, do we try to um, make a story about ourselves, either being um, you know, unable to meet them, feel overwhelmed, or, or do we, we um, you know, get stuck in not being able to see how to be with it? So what Philip suggests is, or asks us these questions, how do you react to difficulty when it arises in your life? Does your mind become rigid or jumpy? Do you become agitated, tense? Do you space out? I know I like to watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I will blame it on my friend who's here today. <laughs> Does it make you angry, apathetic? These are all typical reactions to difficulty that are not only unhelpful, but actually make the difficulty worse, right? They multiply the chaos in our life and interfere with our ability to um, respond to them. And I see a lot of this in, um, in the teaching of the mindfulness-based stress reduction classes. Like um, I was introducing one of the mindful attitudes about non-striving. And, and I, there's, you know, some people's like, what? You know, that's all I know how to do is to strive. And I was, this one particular student 
um, who said, I really don't get it. I really don't get it. This is a pattern I've had my whole life, is to strive, and I don't know how to let go. And um, we, we were talking about letting go. And then they were in a yoga pose with, their, with the leg was in the air, and the hands were gripped to the point of being red, of, of like forcing that leg in. And so I just came along and just gently, and then it's immediately the hands stopped being red and started to come back to their natural color. You know, it was just that moment of like not even realizing that you're, you're striving or that you're, 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 you're in that reactive state. So, so how, what does Philip suggest to soften, to soften into the experience that we can learn to relax our attention and cease to resist the unpleasant feelings that arise in response to difficult situations. Attention is the capacity, our mindful attention, is the capacity of your mind to focus on where you direct it. And the quality of, a, of your attention can vary dramatically depending on your life circumstances. But it's crucial to cultivate a relaxed attention. And that's really what our practice is. So even with our practice, and I know for me, for many years, my practice was a place of striving. And it's taken me a long time, and I'm, I'm, and I'm continuing to notice those subtle places of wanting my experience to be different, you know, wanting my mind to be more subtle, wanting um, more um, clarity or peace or open-heartedness. So I think that, that learning to relax, to have, be attentive and relaxed. Does that make sense? To be a relaxed attention. It's crucial. In relaxed attention, your focus is neutral. There's no tension in your attention. So you feel more at ease in the face of difficulty. Relaxed attention sets the stage for softening into your experience. Softening into your experience captures the sense of relief that occurs when you become mindful of your resistance to the difficult and release it. Softening into your experience isn't about collapsing or quitting on yourself. Rather, it's about fully accepting the difficulty as a natural part of life. When you stop objecting to the difficult, two benefits arise. You ready for these? One, you suffer less. Two, you have more energy at your disposal to deal skillfully with what arises. And although you can practice softening into experience at any time, a way to begin to work with it is to start to connect with when there's a pleasant feeling. So, so maybe next time you sit or just, um, you know, whatever, just noticing something pleasant and then how that feels and then may that support you to learn how to soften into the difficult experiences. Like when you're waiting for someone who's running late. <laughs> so I'm going to shift gears a little bit um, to talk about these... Um, these teachings, um, this way of um, working with some of what blocks our, our capacity and how do we, um, you know, some of those rocks that we're removing to, to, to get to the well of the water. 
And uh, I'm going to quote some things from Mingyur Rinpoche. So there, he talks about five Buddha nature blockers. And this comes out of the texts, the Mahayana texts and the Tibetan texts. And they've, he's honed it down to these five blockers. Okay, see if any of these sound familiar, right? One is faint-heartedness or timidity. So this is that deeply ingrained tendency to judge or criticize ourselves, exaggerating what we perceive as defects in our own character and behavior. We deem ourselves incompetent, insufficient, or bad. So that type of, that's a block to seeing and experiencing our Buddha nature, which is, you know, that, that sense of who we are, of flow, of being whole. Um, let's see, there's a nice description here um, that when, um, that if we could imagine our mind totally free of craving, ill will, delusion, it's clear, alert, unaffected by external, internal conditions, whether pleasant or unpleasant, that this liberated, this is the liberated mind state. So we have this uh, faint-heartedness or timidity, and then one of the strongest examples of that is self-hatred. So that tendency to really belittle or hate ourselves. The second one is about uh, judgments, self-judgments. And I don't think I need to say a lot about that. You know, we're, we're judging, we're, we're, we're constantly commenting, um, we like, we don't like, we, we judge ourselves, we judge others, and particularly when it's harsh and critical. Then these last, this last few are interesting. One of them the third one is seeing the untrue as true. That's when you see the mud or the rock or the block is permanent and impenetrable. So we're like identified like with that self-hatred. We're identified with something's wrong. You know, that and that we are the block, we are the mud. And that's a form. And then the second, uh, the fourth one is seeing um, What's true is untrue. So the first one, seeing the untrue is true, is a form of externalism. And the second, the next one, the fourth one, is seeing the true is untrue, which is the reverse or the denial. It's like saying, you know, what we're talking about here, what the mystics say, it's just not true. There's really no such thing as freedom. Um, it just doesn't exist. It's kind of a nihilism. It's like a denial. It's like this is all there is. Um, you know, these other people are living in a fantasy realm. There is nothing more to be done. And, and that we just get um, nihilistic. The fifth one is self-obsession. And that is called the myth of me. <laughs> and that is the foundation of all the others. <laughs> So, so this is the, the desperate longing for stability, and, uh, my, and we're obsessed. My situation, my opinion, um, 
And this evokes self-judgment, judgment of others, being stuck, being blind, and, uh, um, and that we, we identify with, like, this, we're clinging to this sense of self. Like, he uses the analogy of, like, you're going down the roller coaster and you're clinging to the sides of it. And so we cling, and, and then we strengthen our own personal mythologies. So, fun, fun list. Um, <laughs> so, what are some ways to, um, oh, he calls the blockers like a group of dictators. So, um, I imagine most of us have a lot of dictators in there. And, and they can be quite sneaky. And, and their habit. And that's where I really liked when the Buddha, the Buddhist quote about the, sh the snake shedding its past, shedding its skin again and again. Because usually I think, when I came across it, I thought, well, I thought the snake just sheds its skin, you know, just one time. It never occurred to me about snake shedding. You know, it's not my area. So I... <laughs> But it does it numerous times, you know, again and again. And, but we, we, with our self-judgment, that Buddha blocker, it's like, well, um, I should be done already, you know. <laughs> I think um, I was talking to this other Dharma teacher, mindfulness instructor, and uh, he had a little acronym for that. It's, it's sort of like, um, you know, what's, whatever it is. Like, we can make up our own, like, should be done already, so SBA, you know. <laughs> You know, just to notice that, and you can become mindful of it. So what are some ways to, um, to remove the rocks? To, or to keep, and to keep at it, knowing that the water is there, all right? So looking at the way we look is the essence of taking life as path. So this capacity to look at the way we look, to really bring mindfulness to it, like what we're, we're laughing. We wouldn't be laughing if we weren't able to step back and look at what we're looking at here. Oh, oh, these are mind states. Oh, these are beliefs. These are views and opinions. These are things that block my, me feeling um, whole, happy, well. Um, practices, these are our practices, attention, insight, and empathy. Buddha nature blockers, here's the good news, Buddha nature blockers become Buddha nature breakthroughs. Buddha nature blockers become Buddha nature breakthroughs. By applying and understanding our basic situation and we practice. And we practice with mindfulness, bringing attention. We can learn how to soften, we can gain insight, we can explore and bring inquiry and look at what the experience is, look at those thoughts, feelings. I mean, it's insight meditation. It's what we're learning, what we're doing. We're, we're becoming more and more self-aware. And then we bring in that empathy, compassion for the suffering. I'm going to go back to Philip for a moment here um, on the first noble truth. The Buddhist teachings of the Four Noble Truths begins that with the injunction that you are to attain liberation in order you must understand fully the experience of how your life is intertwined and defined by dukkha, meaning your mental experiences of discomfort, pain, anxiety, stress, instability, inadequacy, failure, and disappointment, all of which is felt as suffering in the mind, the truth of suffering. So 
so this isn't personal. I mean, this is the nature. So, so if we begin to look at it, what I like about the, the, B, I, the BNB, the Buddha nature blockers, is that I can just recognize. So if I, I'm feeling that sense of being stuck, you know, of identifying with the mud, taking the untrue to be true, or feeling hopeless or seeing a client in my office, you know, feeling despair and hopeless because here's another skin I have to shed and I as should be done already. You know, it's like that maybe none of this stuff is going to work for me and maybe it doesn't really exist. You know, that, that, that this is where we can recognize it. So I, 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 I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use BNB, Buddha Nature Blocker, when I go, oh, there's a BNB. <laughs> B and B, <laughs> right? So I'm I'm going to close here today. There's more I could share, but I think um, I want to open it up for some discussion. But one of the things that also helps to wake me up out of it is um, are some daily readings, and I wanted to close with this one about that goes with our theme about relaxing into and softening into what you are. And this is by someone named Scott Morrison. So again, how does one investigate? Find out if there's anything that you believe you are. Anything. This is not simply a thought or a mental image. With accompanying emotional and physical sensations. If upon careful examination it becomes clear that everything you think about yourself, your entire identity, is nothing but the play of memory, things you've read, heard, thought about yourself, then it should be clear that you does not exist. So the myth of me. Ex ex experimentally, if you like, at least for a few seconds, you want to try this? At least for a few seconds, give up on the idea that you exist. <laughs> For a few seconds, give up on the idea that you can exist. If you do, you will discover what is always here, what has never been born and never dies. And what you will discover has no limits. The invitation is to relax into it, to completely give up all the stories about it, to realize there's no way to describe or contain it. How could you be separate from that? from that. You are that. There is just vast, infinite everything. It is where you are. You are infinite. Unconditional silence into which everything arises and disappears. So why not put an end to the game, the struggle, the pretense? Why not relax into not knowing? Why not relax into not knowing? It is absolute, unconditional peace, absolute, unconditional safety. Relax into what you are. Relax into what you are. So if any questions arise, <laughs> Comments, questions? We have um, a chunk of time. Yes. 
Yes, actually, I was I was just thinking I need it. I really want to do that because um, this is um, Mingyur Rinpoche's second um, book. Um, this is um, on joyful wisdom, and he has all the steps about the Buddha blockers and um, all the some of the different antidotes. Um, I've talked about some of the antidotes before about you know different different ways to work with it. Um, and uh, some of you may have heard, um, Mingya Rinpoche has been on retreat for four and a half years living in the caves and wandering and practicing. And he just came out uh, last end of last week. And uh, um, it's very exciting so, uh, to, to, to actually be here in this, in this day and age and to actually know someone who comes here, whose main center is in Minneapolis, um, Tibetan teacher, master teacher, who has been living in that way of the ancient times. It's pretty powerful. So. Questions, comments? Yeah, go ahead. Just really a comment. I wanted to thank you for the um, discourse today. I found it really helpful, and I, it reminded me of a conversation I had with um, my former therapist, who I really like very much, and I remember the beginning saying, oh, I just have this dark spirit spot inside me and I can't stand it and I just think that I, I want to cut it out and I hope we can talk about ways to to get rid of it so I can become a better person. And I remember how disappointed I was when she told me <laughs> that I had, you know, the work was to kind of merge the painful with the with the happier or the, the good with the bad and whatever and I thought, shit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Striving has really been a topic for me for for years, but it's really alive right now. And I've just been noticing how when I surrender and just um, that I go between, oh my God, I, I'm just, I'm not going to get anything done. Everything's going to fall apart. And then I think about actually the striving I've done in my life has never really gotten me anything that I really that I truly want that things just kind of show up in spite of me or because of my practice anyway the striving thing it's just interesting to see all the different flavors and when it's easy and it feels like the burden has been put down and when I just really get that I I've picked it up again and, and how I have to keep doing that over and over and over. So, And I'm glad he's out of retreat. I had heard no one knew where he was. So, cool. Yeah, he's back. Now you can go on the website. There's some amazing pictures. My husband quickly made two copies. I have one on my altar, and he's just... <laughs> and then I heard that he's more ordinary than ever. That he's just <laughs> at the same time. Like, like, you know, he was on the phone with some of the teachers from Turgar, and uh, if I digress here, and um, they said, you know, hi, how, you know, how are you? They didn't know what to say after four and a half years. And, uh, and um, he, he sounded more normal. He said, oh, your English is still good. He says, yes, it's better than ever. And I was like... <laughs> That's what his brother, Sokni Rinpoche, said. It's just like, talked to him yesterday, just ordinary. And isn't that the sign of a true awakened being? I don't know. Anyway, thank you. There's some, someone wanted to talk up here.
it's loud. Um, uh, the note that you ended on, on letting go of your sense of self, I constantly find myself in a pickle with that one just because it's like the more that I let that go, the more it freaks everyone else out. And with what I do, um, I'm a filmmaker, and so a lot of times people want me to be like, explain yourself, like, who are you? Like, and like in, And I'm always like, in what capacity you know it kind of I always get stuck because I'm like yes I do these things or I sometimes look at the world this way but it's always and I'm sure that you know through what everyone else does it's just like you kind of catch yourself getting stuck there where it's like you're sort of letting go of that sense of self but then everyone else still wants you to keep it if that I don't know if anyone else has sort of run into that I see some. I see some nods. Someone else back. Couple. Yeah, back here. Um, I'll just comment um, on that. Um, <clears throat> I think that's the start of a position that might help you to look at it this way: is the people around you are ready to let go of themselves too. And you're leading it or guiding it or helping them to see that. And so there's a transition that you go through. Um, specifically when you brought that up, I think of my family. And when I started going on a deeper journey of awakening, I think, I thought they were like worried about me. They were. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you worried about? This is beautiful. And now a couple years later, <clears throat> I mean, it's a short time. They, they, the things they say or the changes I've seen, not even wanting them to change, but I think when you do let go of that, you have that sense that you want it for other people as well. And so I think it's a transition, and if you can see yourself as a leader in that space, you're helping people um, by letting go. I think the comment, um, what is it, when I'm, when I'm trying to teach, be a, when I'm trying to be a Buddhist or teach, Teach others versus just being a Buddha. Do you know that quote? How does it go? Exactly. <coughs> yes. And I, I think I think that that what I find is just being. Like we, we need we need to be able to wear our personality, our identity. You know, it, it has a service, it has a place. It's not about getting rid of anything. It's just that we're not we're not taking it so solidly and seriously and we can laugh at ourselves and we can see the impermanence and so we can live lighter um, being a human being. And and then I, I think too, I had an experience when I first got into meditation when I was in my twenties, long time ago. Um, and, you know, I came home with the long skirt and, you know, yeah. the Indian shirt and vegetarian and into my religious Jewish family home. And, you know, it's like, but they saw I was happy. They saw I was happier. I wasn't so depressed. And I think just being ourselves, maybe ex trying to explain less and just be you more, <laughs> you know.
a skill. I mean, like even in my profession, there's times where you, you just kind of take what you know works. It's kind of just more like a skill. It's not about me. It's like, okay, I can, I can write this up or I can fill out this thing and, you know, I kind of have a sense of what they're needing or I can get support. And I think that's a skill. You know, it's like, okay, I'm not, I don't, that doesn't define me. Um, any other um, comments before the kiddos come in? Are the kiddos here? Yeah. Amos? Thank you for a nice, very nice talk, Mira. Uh, you know, I don't have too much trouble identifying those first two Buddha blockers. It's kind of a default position, like Tara Brock talks about, the trance of unworthiness. So I can tell when my thoughts are going there. But I wonder... How do you tell when you're thinking that the truth is not true or that the, what's not true is true? How, how do you identify those moments exactly? Well, I, I think, like, like he said, like all five, they kind of they glom together. And it's so, so it's in a way like when you're in that, you're not accepting yourself or you're lost in self-hatred, you're buying and you're believing you are the mud. It's almost like, um, number one, two, and four are all manifesting together. I think the dictators, it's like, in a way, what's helpful, what I, what I like about the Buddha, it's like he took, deconstructed it all, and that's what this is doing. We're taking it all apart so we can see it. We see it in its parts, but we can also see how it works together. You know, so I think it's kind of like, rather than when we, we, we don't see the, the true, which is it just causes the conditions and the, the mind and the, 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 you know, whatever's happening in the present moment, whatever happened to us in the past, what we think happened, and then, you know, it just all kind of comes together in a multiple hindrance attack kind of thing. So, so it helps to, you know, start to tease it apart. But they, 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 they go together. I think that that's when you're stuck there, that's also there, I would say. Where then you're buying into it. I am the mud. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. Um, first, I thought it was interesting that you had the Buddha nature blocker and the Buddha nature breakthrough. It sounded like antidepressants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm going through change right now. I, um, I'm deconstructing my uh, ego or whatever, the image place of my career. And um, I actually was on a crescent rise inside of it where I was getting more responsibility, larger accounts, that kind of thing. And ironically, I found my sleep was going down. Um, my happiness wasn't going up. And um, I was getting depressed, more and more depressed. And so I made a decision to consciously cut the largest piece of my business recently to the shock of all the people that I work with and also to myself. Um, but I'm sleeping better <laughs> and um, feeling better. But it's been an, an ironic shift too because there's this whole sadness about letting all that go and losing all that quote image and all that stuff but it feels better, and so I'll stand on that. Thank you. Well, how, well how, about, how about, yes, yes, go ahead. 
And we could do that. We could stay on the theme and talk with each other about how we, how we experience that. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing that I've, where I'm at for quite a number of months now that I really wasn't expecting it, but years ago when I got started into meditation and Buddhism, probably like seven years ago, the, the things that internally that really motivated me and were my drive, I think were, was sort of the, the deeper lifelong pain of just trying to come to understand that and things that think we all have to work through in, in various ways and at this juncture I don't have that much anymore of that and and so suddenly there's been this change of motivation it's a work in progress where I just don't have the intensity of going to the highs and to the lows I think I have a bit of an understanding of it and now I'm in kind of this you know I still have my days my blues and what have you but it just isn't there isn't this as driving need and and it's almost like <clears throat> I have to recreate my motivation or come to know it in a deeper way because the the things in the past that were hurtful I seem to have gotten past that and uh, I'm more into I don't know more of a, a mundane this is what's before me and, and I guess I'm looking for a deeper motivation deep down inside me that I've yet to really extract out but um, it, so that was it, just the, the, the sense that I've moved to a place where I don't have as much intensity on the outside edges, I guess, so. Enjoy the boredom. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yeah. I, actually, I think that's part of the challenge, is that there's something very compelling about the drama and about, you yeah. know, like we, we want the freedom and the peace, but then it's like, but but I want to be plugged in. And actually, yeah, yeah. when I, especially when I go on retreat and go into silence, it's like, oh, well, uh, no, it can, be, it can be hard. But I hear what you're saying, and I think it's a, you know, it is, there is a deepening yeah. um, that, that comes where, where it's like, it's like a, a different relationship to your practice. So I think we each have our own journey with that. But, yeah, it's like, it's like get you know going underneath the waves or not being you know knowing how to ride them or not getting as identified with them. It, it, there's a shift. There's a change. There, there is a sense yeah. of being plugged in with drama. Yeah. I, I have to say, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You could make mistake it like you said for aliveness. Um, so kind of off what you just spoke about, I, um, that reminded me of when we started, you mentioned like, recall the last time you felt happy and then recall the last time you felt really sad. And it was funny because this like happened yesterday, like the beginning of the day, I felt like really sad and like super depressed. And then like at the end of the day, I was like, okay, I have to do something about this. And like, I finally just like went out and like did all the things I like needed to do like did my laundry, went to Target, like all these things and like actually felt happier. Like, so I, it like made me think about like when I start to feel really sad and emotional and like dramatic, it's like usually when I just like let all of it just like fester and like just not do anything and just feel like super like blah. And then once I feel happier, it's like when I actually take initiative and like actually have intention and actually like do something in order to like 
stop feeling that way. So it's like kind of I feel like there's a shift of like like you said like attention or tension instead of like kind of like going with something like you actually have to like take some like conscious decision of like snapping out of it and being like okay like this is not working right now I need to like do something else. Yeah and it's great thank you you know there's many many skillful ways to work with the difficult mind states and that's some really good ways is just to move and do something else even Mingyur Rinpoche says, you know, there's times to do something different. You know, get up, go to the store, you know, do your laundry. Just, you know, different ways to work. So very skillful. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.